be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning. All right, let's talk about being overwhelmed. It is insanely easy to feel overwhelmed in life. Maybe you have a job, two jobs, two jobs with a side hustle, a bunch of kids, bills to pay, and on top, you know, maybe your, 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 your back's not doing good, your knees aren't doing good. We're all, you know, none of us are getting older or younger. We're all getting older. None of us are getting Last week I spoke to you guys about how to make your life count. What I said is that by understanding what God has placed you in charge of, specifically the spread of the message of Jesus Christ, what we call the gospel, you can be assured that you are part of something, some great effort that stretches long before you and will most likely continue long after you are gone. Sounds great, right? One big problem. Self can be exhausting. Put on top of that, trying to actually live a victorious Christian life, trying to actually make a change in the world by telling people about the news of Jesus, and not just telling them the news, but actually, as Jesus said, making disciples can seem insanely exhausting at times. Uh, well, I looked it up online. I've heard this before. Uh, different denominations have run studies, basically, on um, ministers, and basically, the overall thing that we found across denominations is that the average pastor lasts a little less than a decade okay some 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 denominations show a little bit higher results some show a little bit lower results but the overall uh average is about that now look i get it sometimes god calls you elsewhere but i do not believe that the vast majority of people who felt a call upon their life to preach the word all felt called elsewhere. Truth is, I think they, they burned out. It's exhausting. So if that's the case, if that's the if, if it has an insanely short lifespan for most people, um, why on earth would I call you to join in the work of ministry? Like, why would I do that? I mean, Kevin, yeah, this is your own fault for taking this job. Like. Why are you trying to drag us into this as well? Aren't, isn't it just going to make life harder? Well, yes. But I think it's worth it. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about this morning. So last week, if you were with us, we started a study of 2 Timothy. Uh, it is the, 2 Timothy, if you do not know, is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote before being beheaded for his faith. Now, at the time he writes this to his understudy Timothy, he is chained up in a Roman prison, and there are he's, he's chained up in a dark prison. There are false teachers out there spreading lies about the message he's preached, and the people who preach that message leading the church astray. And in all honesty, Paul's writing to Timothy, and he can't promise him it's going to be any better for or easier for Timothy. Like, wouldn't it be nice if he could say, look, Timothy, I lived a hard life. It's going to be a lot easier for you. 
But despite that, he's out there making his sales pitch to him, right? Like, come join me. Great pitch, right? You might be beheaded, they might hate you, they might say horrible things about you. The funny thing is, Timothy buys it. See, historians believe that Timothy was stoned to death in Mount Macedonia before AD 100. So as Paul is calling his understudy not only to join in the work of the ministry, Paul is aware that he's most likely calling his understudy to one day die for his faith. So now why on earth would I stand up here and try to tell you, busy as you already are, to go out all in on this whole Jesus thing? Simple. It is absolutely worth it. You were created for this. You were saved for this. Jesus went to the cross and called you to go spread the news about him because he knew that there is nothing in life more fulfilling than doing what you were both created and redeemed for. So as we'll see in this chapter or in this section, Paul wrote to Timothy knowing full well all the difficulty that lie ahead of him. He offers him encouragement to keep going. And that encouragement is not just for Timothy, but for you and I as well. So, if you would, we start in verse 1 of 2 Timothy. By the way, I'm going to be reading from, I'm going to be going through verse 1 all the way to 13 this morning. So, Paul begins and he offers Timothy this, this statement by offering Timothy encouragement and instruction. He says in verse 1 and 2, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So, Paul addresses his contemporaries here. He knew, now, what's he doing here? There's there's two things. There's the obvious thing, and then there's the not-so-obvious thing that if you understand the situation and the history of the church in the first century, he's also addressing. See, Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles. Gentiles were non-Jewish people. And so he, he, go, he goes to his audience and he addresses them with this charge. Now, what you may have missed here when he says, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is kind of an interesting thing. He's telling you to be strong, but he's not telling you to be strong on your own. He's telling you to be strong with the strength that God alone can supply. Important thing. Right now, outside, right then, when Timothy was, or when Paul was sitting in prison, there was a bunch of different pseudo-Christian uh, and other religious beliefs that were trying to wage war against the truth of the gospel. Uh, two of them that are worth noting are Stoicism and Gnosticism. Now, they would have been in their early, Gnosticism would have been in its early phases here, but why does it matter? Well, Stoicism held that there was a measure of the divine inside everything, and that you, through hard work, through, uh, through wisdom, could access it, okay? So you were trying to find a strength that was in yourself. Gnosticism held to a few different things. Gnosticism basically said, uh, immaterial world good, material world bad, and it's only through certain select individuals who have special knowledge that you could transcend or uh, or, or kind of, uh, uh, yeah, transcend the physical world. Now, this idea, these ideas were uh, running rampant not only outside in the unbelieving world, but even in the church as well. Perhaps you've heard of a false gospel called the Gnostic gospel uh, that exists from that time. Anyways, 
point is the biblical position that Paul is standing up for here is totally opposed to. He's not saying you got to dig deep from yourself. He's not saying the problem is you don't believe in yourself enough. You don't know how awesome, how strong, how great you are. No, 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 no. What Paul is telling Timothy here is you need the strength to accomplish this task. You need to be strengthened with the strength that only God can provide. The grace that is in Christ Jesus, he says. In other words, it's not something you work hard for. It's a gift that you have to receive. But then what does he mean here? Well, what does he mean by all this? Simple. This calling will take more than you what you've got in you. Okay? If you look at the call to make disciples, and you are a rational human being, and you look at it, your first thought should be, I can't do this. But God makes it into what you want to do. God provides the strength that he calls for the task that he calls them to. And then Paul explains here the trajectory of God's grace. He says it's first inward. Timothy is to be personally strengthened. Be strengthened. That is you. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then it is outward. He says that the ministry of the gospel is meant to be transferred to other men. He says, find faithful men, just like I did with you, and entrust them with the work of evangelists. Entrust them with the ministry of the gospel. That's what we just did with Brett. Uh, we, 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 trusted, we trusted his faithfulness, his track record in faith. And so we, we entrusted with the measure of carrying the gospel to more people. Now, all this means that the reach of the gospel, the message of Jesus, is always meant to be expanded. Okay? It's meant to spread throughout the whole world. What we do here is never meant to stay here. It's always meant to go out. It's meant to go out through your, the relationships that you have with people in your everyday life, whether at work or in family or your neighbors or your friends or whatever. What we talk about here is meant to be ever-expanding. And then Paul offers here, in order to do this, Paul calls uh, Timothy, verse 3, and says, Share in suffering. As a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, what he's going to do is he's going to go through like three illustrations of what that means uh, to share in suffering. Each of these has some amount of suffering involved in it, some amount of hard work involved in the task that, that uh, Paul is calling them to. So, example one, Paul makes the example of a soldier. Verse four: No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Since his aim is to please the one who is enlisted. What does he mean by that? Well, notice, Paul emphasizes, who are you trying to please? What's the goal here, then? To please the one who enlisted. Who's the one who enlisted? God. He's saying, basically, if you want to be a good soldier of Christ, make it your aim to please God. And while this is and this is implied by that statement, make it your aim to please God and not man. You guys, I'll just be honest. As a pastor, a person who works in ministry and such, I cannot tell you how many ministers have been led astray by wanting to please people and not the one who calls them and listen in the service of ministry. We become people pleasers. We start to shave off the parts of the Bible that we don't like things that are uncomfortable for us to talk about. 
guys, when we do that, what we basically do is say, I'm smarter than the one who makes me. I'm smarter than God. I know better what he should do, what people should do. Not a chance. He's the one who's called us. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who dictates to us what it is we should be about, who we should serve, and how we should serve him in doing this. The danger is to forget in all this. It's really easy to do a lot of stuff in church and get and forget who you are serving in all of this. So Paul simply says, stay the course. Don't lose sight of who you are doing this for. We do all of this for the glory of God. And he gives an example too. Example two is an athlete, something I know absolutely nothing about. <laughs> an athlete, verse five, he says, is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Okay, crowned is same thing as like getting a gold medal. It would have been like a wreath crown that they would have given to someone back in those days. Think like the, don't think like King Arthur. Think like the Little Caesars guy. So, his idea here is if an athlete is going to receive the prize, they must compete according to the rules, which raises the question, what are the rules? Well, the rules are defined by the rule maker, okay? God is the one who defines it. He defines the terms. He defines the message. Make sure that you preach Christ, Christ and him crucified, risen from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. And he also defines, he not only defines the message, but the needs. Evangelism, telling the gospel, discipleship, teaching people to obey all that he has commanded. That's what the rules are. So what are the cheats? Because obviously if you can compete according to the rules, it's probably a way to cheat, right? Well, here's the cheats. So we already said, it's working to please the law of the person. Guys, you can get a crowd by teaching by teaching a lot of good things or a lot of good sounding things. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to compete according to the rules. And the rules are set by the rule maker. God's the one who defines the terms. He, defer, he determines what we preach and how we preach it. How about how we go about doing that? And so there's no sub idea. What, what Paul is telling us here is that there's no substitute for the hard work of gospel ministry. Guys, don't miss this. It doesn't get it. There's not the easy way out, okay? Gospel ministry is hard work, but it's good work. And then he gives us a third example, the farmer. He says, verse 6, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have a first share of the crops. Okay, this leads us to another question. What are the crops, Right? You know, most of you guys didn't walk in here that you're farmers. If you are, you just have like a little garden in your backyard. <laughs> so what is he talking about? He says the farmer deserves the, his share of the crops. Well, the crops are the reward. Specifically, the reward that God will give to those who are faithful. Now, uh, similar ideas. Uh, the Bible, the biblical writers bring this up from time to time. Jay, let me give uh, draw one, your attention to another passage real quick. James chapter 1, verse 12. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to, the, to those who love him. You see a, a lot of common ground here. We have the idea of persecution and the idea of a reward, a crown here, specifically the crown of life, a life spent with God. What does that mean? So, guys, as we do all this hard work, 
expect your labor to pay off. God says there is a prize in store for those who are faithful, for those who trust him, for those who are faithful even under hard times. And then Paul speaks about the message we preach in verse 8 and 10. He says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's the product, right? The salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul says this to Timothy to let him know. The message you preach is unstoppable. Two descriptors of Christ Paul gives here. He says he is risen from the dead. In other words, death is, itself could not hold Jesus back. And that he is a descendant of David. Now, this doesn't make much this might not make much sense why he would say that in our day and age, because we're like, what does it matter who his like ancestor was? Well, in our day and age, I mentioned this before, we talked about Gnosticism was a prevalent problem in this day and age. Gnosticism held this idea that it was totally okay with Jesus being God. It just didn't like the idea that Jesus was also a man. So in our day and age, if you find people who reject their faith, what they'll say is, I like Jesus, he's a good guy, he's a moral teacher, he's cool, I'm okay with him in fact, but I'm not okay with him being Lord and, and God. And back in the day, what they had a problem with is the opposite. They said, I can accept a divine, someone who is divine, but the idea that that divine person is also was born a physical man, that's a problem. Therefore, Paul gives these descriptors here to let us know that Jesus Christ is a descendant of David, that he physically died, and he physically came back from the dead. Now, if they kill, this implies something as well. If they kill Jesus, they're not going to love you either. Okay? We get this idea sometimes that we should be nice and friendly. And all and I'm not saying we shouldn't be kind, but we have sometimes it's easy to assume that the non-culture, the world around us, is just going to be like, you are so cool and I love you. Guys, if Jesus didn't figure out, figure out a way to tell it to people that way, you're not either. Remember who you're trying to please. Okay? He tells them that this gospel cannot be held back. In other words, the word of, he says, the word of God is not bound. In other words, look, Timothy, they can do anything they want to me. They can chain me up. They can kill me. But here's the thing. The message I preach, it is unstoppable. Walls can't hold it. Chains can't hold it back. And they can even put, and as we've seen through 2,000 years of church history, they can put God's people to death, and that word is still here. There was no American church when Paul wrote this. But here we are. A relatively small church in Las Vegas, Nevada. Guys, no matter what they're trying to do to stop it, the word will not be held back. This is the reason Paul is willing to suffer. He says, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect. By referring to the saints as the elect here, he is reminding Timothy that it is the hand of God that is behind all of it, even his suffering. That means that because of that, because he understands that God's hand is in all of this, 
He can endure suffering knowing that his suffering is never wasted. It is never worthless. He says that he does all this for the sake of the elect. Why? So that they may obtain salvation. In other words, there are people out there who will come to salvation through Paul's suffering. We've just got to get the message out to them. Okay? Let me let everyone know this, because I know this is how I feel when I want to share Jesus with people. I'm like, yeah, they're probably are going, I'm not going to care about it, and then they do it, and I hit them off. Guys, listen to me. Trust in God's word. There are people out there who will receive it with joy. You just got to get that message out there to them. Okay? Now, this is the motivation for all missions. All missions are about bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to new ears, that some will hear them and receive it and be saved. And as we see in this idea, it will pass on from faithful man to faithful man and will continue from generation to generation until the knowledge of God spreads to the entire world. And when we join in the message of spreading the news of Jesus, guys, success is guaranteed. You don't need to wonder if this stuff works. It does. It's got 2,000 years of history behind it to let you know it does. And then Paul ends this section on these things to remember. Uh, some people have suggested that this may have been like an early creed by the church. However, most commentators believe, well, that's probably true. This is probably a Pauline original, meaning this is like something Paul wanted the church to remember and recite together. He says this in verse 11 through 13. He says, this saying is trustworthy. For if we die with him, that is with Christ, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. And if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Okay? He starts out, he says, if we die with him. This is most likely a reference to our baptism. Now, Paul would ultimately pay the full price, pay that price and actually die for his faith. Not everyone does, but here's the idea. In Paul's mind, through his baptism, uh, through, through receiving Jesus, he was already dead. He was already dead for the things of the world. He had already died with Christ. If someone acted that acted that out and brought it to fruition in his life, so be it. But as so so far as it related to him, he was already dead to sin in Christ. Paul could die because he already considered himself united to Christ. Therefore, he knew he would also be united with him in life. So that's the idea. If we consider that we are already dead to our sin. <laughs> already dead to the things of this world because of Jesus, then that means we also, whatever Christ, whatever dies to Christ, is raised up. Okay? That means we also have the hope that we will also live with him. Then he says, if we endure, we will also reign. Implication. You were created to reign. In Genesis 1, in the very beginning of Genesis, God gives this command to Adam. He says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, that is, rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. See, you are created to rule on this earth to some extent, to rule over all the rest of what God's creation on the earth. Sin frustrated that, but in Jesus we are restored to that glorious position. We reign with Christ. And then he says, 
If we, verse 12, if we deny him, he will also deny us. This is a call to remain faithful. Let me just give you another passage to support this from Revelation. Revelation chapter 2. We read, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. But listen to this. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. There's that word again. Always the reward is in view. And so what this is a call to do is to remain faithful. It says if you deny Christ, Christ will deny you. Guys, Jesus talks about this. This is one of the, I cannot imagine a more sad, tragic situation. And a person will stand before God on judgment day and be like, I know you. And Jesus says, I don't know you. And then we read in verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. That's weird, isn't it? Like he just said, if we deny him, he will deny us. But then he goes back and he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Which is a really tricky situation. It means that there are, and there are some people who are, have doubts and are faithless at times, but yet they, are st- they have not denied Jesus in the way that he will deny them. Rather, they, they have, say they go through periods of doubt. And it says Jesus is faithful even through that. Now, basically, if you wanted two examples of it, some people are some people are Peter's in their denial. Some people are Judas's in their denial. Here's the tricky part: How can I tell which one's which? Like I don't. Yeah. If we look at this, it's like on surface level, a person who turns from their faith for a moment, a person who turns from their faith for a lifetime. How exactly am I supposed to differentiate? And I'll be honest. I think sometimes we can get too caught up in trying to figure that out when a person is doubting. Or a person is, is in rebellion from their faith. See, God doesn't give us all those details. The only clear sign I can tell you from this of how to differentiate between a temporary lapse of faith and a denial of Jesus is repentance. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that, look, if a brother sins and he repents and he, and he turns from it, receive that person back. Okay? Don't ask questions if they're repentant. Receive them back into your midst. That's what we do. But the other side of it is, if someone is unrepentant in their sin and they are continually confronted on it and they do not turn back, then we need to also, then we should not recognize it as a brother and sister. I know it's hard. Okay? I know that sounds like a bad thing, but here's the deal it protects us as a church, both from, about from assuming. That someone is a good person when they or is a is a faithful believer when really they may not be a faithful believer, and it protects our witness to the outside world. It shows no, 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 we are not supporting this person in their sin. We have called them on the carpet and they have refused to listen. So that's what we get from this. What do we take away from all this? Here's the big idea, guys. Every week I give you a big idea. If you remember nothing else, remember this from the passage. Gospel ministry is an impossible task made possible by Christ. See, everything in this passage that suggests that you are, in fact, in over your head as it pertains to the purpose of God in your life, okay? That's okay, though, because it's by design that we have a task that is too big for us. See, understand this. You were created to be God-dependent, okay? You were never, you were never meant to live a life independent, free of God's rule and reign over your life. You were meant to have a relationship with him, 
and you were meant to live under his word and his teaching and to trust him. We were created to be dependent on our Lord. So if you feel overwhelmed with the idea of carrying the message of Jesus to the very ends of the earth and teaching others how to follow it, here's the good news. You're on the right track. A couple thoughts about this before we close out. First, remember God has not called you to do it alone. Yes, God is sometimes, and we get the idea that what God has called us to do is that you and you alone are the sole witness to go out there and share the message of Jesus. No, no, no. We are all in this together. God has called us a church, a congregation, for a purpose. We work on this mission together. We labor together. Our strengths complement one another's weaknesses, and we are stronger as a church, okay? This is why we are moving, we've been moving forward with church membership of late. I really believe churches should see each other as family. These shouldn't just be the guy who sits down on the uh, sits next to me on the, at a chair on Sunday morning. I believe God has actually called us to share in life together, to share in the mission of God together, and to labor for the discipleship of all peoples and the spread of the gospel together. Second, embrace that it will be hard work. Guys, you can't get around it. There's no, oh, it's going to be hard for you, but not for this guy. Understand, Paul never sugarcoats anything for Timothy, but he always gives it to him straight. He says, this is going to be hard. If there is going to be suffering involved. Don't, but don't lose sight of the goal. Stick to the playbook. Remember who it is you are living to please. Truth is, there will be times when you think of giving up. We all go through. At times, another life will sound relaxing. The idea of not having this whole Christianity thing on your plate will always, okay, will at times seem like a relief to walk away from. But hear me out, guys. Just because it's easier doesn't make it better. Just because it might be an easier, more carefree life doesn't mean it's a better life. God has called us to the greatest calling that you could ever imagine. You were made for this purpose, and you were saved for this purpose. Don't turn back in the face of suffering. See, God is, as he said in his word, he has called you to reign with him. Everything else will be selling yourself short for a momentary comfort. And then last, in all these things, don't forget to keep the most important thing in focus. The message of Jesus. Keep the main thing the main thing. He is, God has already defeated the power of death in Christ. Everything else is small potatoes. I could not rationally look at my situation and go, sure, Jesus rose from the dead, but he can't handle this in my life. It wouldn't make sense, and neither can do. Paul put it this way, and I want to end on this thought. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 19 through 20, he says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto our to God and our Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. God will supply everything you need. It's going to be hard, but it's also worth it. Don't give up. Lord God, we thank you for the witness of men like Paul and Timothy before us. God, as your word says, we stand before a great cloud of witnesses. We stand before an impossible task that is made possible by you. 
Christ Jesus has gone to the cross defeating sin, suffering, Satan, death itself. And God, you call us to reign with you. Give us strength. Let us not give up in spite of our suffering. Let us always look to you who will supply our every need. Let us rely on each other, the family of faith that you have given us. God, in all these things, may we do it for your end. May we remember who we are pleased. May we do it all for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.